Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran former law enforcement officer and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us, America. We appreciate it. Not only America, but all across the world. It is so good to have you. Last week, we topped 500,000 total listeners, and we really appreciate that. That's a big deal. Uh, the Collision of Faith and Politics, if you just stumbled on this, maybe uh, you started drinking drank a little bit early, and you fumbled and stumbled over to here, and you don't know where you are. Well, I'll tell you where you are. You are at the Collision of Faith and Politics. Title of today's show is Who Are Your Heroes? Where Are They? Hey, by the way, remember our Sunday series on fear. It's free right here where you are now. If you stumbled into this, just copy this uh, or or Blog Talk Radio. I'll tell you what would be even easier is www.theninjapastor.com. As long as you have that, that'll take you anywhere, drshawngreener.com. Either of those, that's going to have you uh, really in good shape because then there's a listen button. And you just click on that listen button, and you'll go uh, right to here. And and what you can do, uh, this is free of charge, no cost or obligation to you, is sign up. Click on sign up. And all that really does, or subscribe, I can't remember what the word is, but all that really does is that uh, puts us in a situation where you get notifications to whether or not um, – you know, I'm doing a show or if I'm having a special appearance or, or whatever the case may be, you get notified of that, and that's a good thing, and that's free. We don't sell your information. We don't give it away, so uh, I encourage you. I am opening chat right now. So those of you uh, who like to uh, give comments and ask questions and all of that, feel free to do that. Today's show is kind of a unique show. By the way, I went, I'm going to go back here. I don't want to... I don't want to get tripped up too far ahead and fall on my face. Uh, fear, what in the world are you afraid of? That's our Sunday series, as I just said. What in the world are you afraid of? Look, man, it doesn't matter what anybody else is afraid of. You know, it doesn't matter what anybody else is afraid of. It matters what you are afraid of. But in some cases, reality just doesn't uh, It doesn't relate to your fear. Usually, you know, you've heard the mnemonic, false evidence appears real for fear. Uh, most often, that's the case. So what in the world are you afraid of? Where do you go when there is nowhere left to run from fear? Where do you go when there's nowhere left to run from fear? And then uh, today, we're going to talk about who you're, you're here. We have a lot to talk about today, and I don't even know if we're going to get to it all. Uh, but suffice it to say, there's a lot to say, a lot to, lot to go over, and 
and hopefully you'll find it of value. If you find it of value, send me a message. If you're on the show page, send me a message through the show page. Share it with your friends. The link, the short link uh, that you might have received or you clicked on to listen to the show. Uh, if you're one of my Facebook followers or Facebook friends, all you do is click on that link. It brings you right over to here or go to the ninjapastor.com, click on listen. But if you share that link with people, even after the show, it's free of charge uh, to to listen to. Uh, there's there's no there's no fee for it. Nobody ever has to pay for anything. And so we uh, we really would encourage you to do that. But it, it's tough. It's a weird thing. I love public speaking. I travel around the United States speaking to audiences large and small, and I love that. And the reason I love that is because of feedback. I love the feedback that we get from people. Um, it's very important to me to know, I think with anybody doing anything like this, to know that your your audience is being blessed and benefited by it. And, and um, thank you to those in chat who have replied to that. Thank you very much. And I appreciate all you do as well. Um, but it, it is important. You know, I, I have a Facebook page, facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, I think it's just God and Country Radio or Radio Show. I don't know which. But if you type in God and Country Radio, that'll take you there. Also, you can go to my regular page. Uh, I think I have uh, – I think I usually cut about three to 500 friends every week to two weeks, and then we bring on uh, some of the new ones. I look for the ones that don't post very often, or uh, maybe I go through and I look and who's got a low-cut dress on for their um, for their profile picture, and I, I cut them out and – uh, not to be approved, but that's not really what I'm I'm here to do. Our country's going to hell in a handbasket, and and we don't really have time for all that stuff. Uh, but if that's your thing, you know, more power to you. But it's just not what I'm looking for on my Facebook page. But if we have, if, if at any point in time we're over 5,000 friends, click on follow, and we'd be happy to have you follow what we do, and that'll enable you to send me uh, personal messages, private messages. We'd we'd love to have that. So here's the thing. I think about why I do what I do. And I think about heroes. Uh, one of my heroes, uh, we memorialized this Saturday, my Uncle Kerry, Uncle Kerry Covington. We memorialized him. We remembered his life. And um, it was awesome. I mean, there was a bunch of hot rods and motorcycles outside. He loved loud motors and, and fast cars and a lot of horsepower. He just loved it. He loved it. I learned a lot about him. Of course, I've known him, obviously, all my life. He's 79 years old. Uh, but I learned a lot about him that I didn't know, and he's even more of a hero to me now than he was before. So all that said to say this, you know, I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves, who are our heroes? I look at um, people that I've served with, soldiers, combat soldiers, clandestine service, uh, people in in uh, you know in in plain clothes that do things so gallant and so bravely that honestly, you know, nobody's ever going to hear about the, the amazing things they do. They just aren't. They're, they're not going to do it. And I, I have to say to you, um, I, I, well, let me let me say this just to be fair. I don't want to. I don't want to color this in any way. By the way, I'm getting messages from people who say that I'm cutting out, and I don't know if that's the, I don't know, that might be on your end, because I'm getting messages 
saying loud and clear, so I, I just don't know. Um, but I've just posted on Facebook. If you follow me on Facebook, I've posted the short link. Um, so if you click on that, that will be on live now in that voice. That's the voice I have for me. On live now. That's that's the voice I have for me. I don't actually sound like that, but I've chosen that. I've I've chosen that's that's who I am. So anyway, back to uh, heroes. You know, I, I look at people I served with. I, I know what kind of people they are. They're amazing people. Some of them were amazing people because now they're in Arlington. They're in Arlington. Uh, one of our posters in uh, chat says his dad served in 58, 58 to uh, 62 on the USS Kitty Hawk, CV-63. That's, uh, you know, that's a real deal. That's a real deal. That's the, the, the World War II generation. You know, my uncle, I was telling you about my uncle's memorial service. My uncle uh, wanted to serve like his brothers in World War II, uh, but he contracted polio and was completely and totally paralyzed. See, I did not know this. I thought that, you know, I say just his legs, that's a big deal. But his, I knew his legs were paralyzed, but I didn't have any idea that his whole body was paralyzed. And, he, and uh, through a lot of therapy and all that, he, he really... You know, he really, let's see here, uh, people are contacting me saying they can't log in. So I don't know, I'm not sure what the deal is. I'm not sure what the deal is. Uh, folks, I don't know what to tell you. Let me see here. Let me see here. I'm going to send it out to my the little message board. And hopefully you'll be able to get on to that. If not, try through the ninjapastor.com. My goodness, I hope that this isn't yet another, yet another of the problems. So anyway, all that said to say this, uh, you know, he wanted to serve. He wanted to go. He wanted to fight. It was important to him. And then he ended up with polio and, and he couldn't walk. Um, but the But the bottom line is, it, unless you saw his crutches, you'd never know he was paralyzed. You just never know. Thank you, by the way, uh, people. Uh, let's see. After you log in to blog and have audio, hit Control F5. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, to the listeners who are sharing that with me. I don't know what that does. Uh, that will reload, and then chat opens up. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So hopefully that helps you. Frustrating, I know. I, I want it to work every time. It, it's funny because I talk about in the series, going back to the series on fear, there's a lot of people that uh, are terrified of public speaking. They're just terrified of it. Speaking in public, it just, it, just, it just rattles them. For me, I don't have that. I don't have that. I just don't have that fear as long as I'm prepared and um, I it just, it's just not something that just crushes me, you know? Uh, so I want to be fair that, that the thing that does really frustrate me are technical issues. You know, I, I just don't have, I don't, I just don't have the aptitude. Of, well, I don't know about the aptitude of training. I'm learning more stuff. I go to the, to the training, um, at the Apple store. This is not a commercial for Apple, but I use all Apple products and, um, but I'm, you know, it, it, the failing is me. It's not, it's not ever 
the uh, it's not it's not ever the the equipment or I'll say very rarely ever the equipment. So that frustrates me. That gives me fear, you know. And I'm also afraid of of not doing a good job, of not being a blessing to people, of not doing the right thing. I'm I'm terrified of doing the wrong thing. Not to say I have never done the wrong thing, or that I don't do the wrong thing, but I do fail. I mean, I'm I'm a human being, and I have many many failings. All that said, to say this that that heroes are often looked at as people who we i we we idolize them and we idealize them we say that they are without fail today i i'm really excited i have i have a guest on here i've known for several several years uh, a great young man i'm going to tell you more about him in a minute but he really is something special and i knew he was something special the very first time i met him um and um you know we'll tell you more about that when it gets here but you know, talking about heroes, you know, I've served next to people. I've, I, I have good friends that are in Arlington and other uh, cemeteries all across the country that served valiantly. And uh, you know, several of my uncles are my heroes. Um, there's just lots and lots of people who who do heroic things every day and never get recognized. They're not basketball players. They're not, they're not baseball players. They don't, they don't make hundreds of millions of dollars a year. They're not famous. In fact, they toil away in, a, in an utter obscurity. But to the people in their lives, they are absolutely, totally, and completely the most important people in the world. They're their, they're their heroes. I look at law enforcement. I was privileged to serve in law, enfor- law enforcement for about five years. And I have great friends. You know, I am biased because I did the job in many different uh, capacities. I mean, I, I served in, um, in criminal investigation unit a couple of different times, and I, I served in research and development with some really great people. I served in patrol with some really super great people. And, you know, just some great people. Now, were there people there that weren't great and weren't heroes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that was such a rarity. I have to tell you, the the, uh, the meme that's gone around that, that cops just run around to beat on people, they can't wait to hit people, they can't wait to shoot people, I, listen, go back in the archives of the show and listen, I do a show where I talk about, look, the last thing in the world a white or black cop wants to do is engage uh, a, a black person and, and God forbid they shoot them. You know, God forbid they have to have to tune them up or fight them because no matter how it turns out, you know, look at Ferguson. No matter how it turns out, no matter what happens, it's too late. You know, the, the, the race baiters, they, you know, they turn what is otherwise a heroic act into an evil act, and it's simply not the case. So law enforcement, I, I look at law enforcement, man, I wouldn't want to be a cop now. I've told all of the, uh, I've spoken to groups down in Baltimore, uh, Baltimore law enforcement. I've said, look, you know, if you can find a way to get another job now, go go, go look around the country, go somewhere else, because this environment is going to do nothing but get worse. It's absolutely going to get worse. This is not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for your family. And it doesn't look like anytime soon, you know, that Maryland is is going to be run any differently than than it was under Martin O'Malley, who's now a presidential candidate. Uh, the mayor of Baltimore, nothing's going to change there, you know. They are not heroic people. But the law enforcement, you know, down in Baltimore, they have their problems. Balmer, Balmer, that's how they say it down there. Uh, 
you know, they they have their problems. I'm not going to lie. And the, and I have friends that are on the department, and they'll tell you, man, it's it's just rough. It's a terrible place to work. But on top of that, you got some some cops that just aren't aren't very good people. But you know what? You have firemen and firewomen. I don't know what you call them, firemen. I just it's, it's without. I don't know, you know. I don't know what it is. It's without uh, gender. So um, you have people that fight fires, and you you have to know that every day when a law enforcement officer or a fireman goes to work, you just don't know if they're coming home. I talk about heroes, folks. They're they're heroes. But yet we don't see a whole lot of those little baseball cards going around with police officers on them. You know, this is a hero going into neighborhoods, you know, rougher neighborhoods, poorer neighborhoods. Are the heroes. Listen, I have a friend of mine, his name you've heard before, Chris Cahalan. He's fighting pancreas cancer, and, and I have to tell you, he's... To me, he's a hero. In addition to being an incredible guy, he's a hero. He's waging hope. Today he finds out, you know, has the chemotherapy been working, sufficient to schedule surgery, the Whipple procedure, or hasn't it? All along the way, you know, we sometimes we have conversations in the wee hours of the morning, and he's thinking about how can I better serve God? How can I better serve my family? That's a hero, folks. There's people in chat right now that are that are with EMS and and they do things. This is a great one. The one of the ones I'm talking about right now is we give 110 percent for the one percent chance to save a life. Man, isn't that true? I remember I just recently learned this. I I didn't know this. I knew that in my car crash on August 12th, August April 12th, 2012. Um. I knew that I was in bad shape. I didn't have any idea uh, that they thought I was dead. I did hear uh, that some had said that it was called in as a double fatal. A, a young man that I did know, uh, he was killed in the crash. And um, I, But I didn't know that two firemen came up and checked my vitals. And they, uh, you know, they... I don't know. I just didn't know. I didn't know this at the time. That they checked my vitals and they said there was no sign of life. So that's when they left my car and went to work on the other people. But those people, I'm telling you, from, from the whole process, not to throw the hospital under the bus, I won't say the name. I don't need them suing me. Not that I have any money. Uh, but they, But up until the hospital, they were heroes. It's a horrible experience once I got to the hospital. It was terrible. I'm lucky I survived that. I was in more of a risk at the hospital than I was in the crash. But the firemen and the EMS and the law enforcement, all those people, they did a phenomenal job. How about teachers, folks? How about teachers? How about them? You understand that that just in any any profession, I I know uh, 
Look, I know people who have abused their position as teacher, male and female, that have had sex with their students, you know, that have done the wrong things. They're just terrible people. They've abused their position. But for the most part, you have great, great teachers out there that are killing it, man. They're just... They're in it to win it. They love your kids, and they they want to teach them. They want to do well. Not all of them are are trying to indoctrinate indoctrinate your kids. Now, I will tell you the the public school system is is just a system for indoctrination. And many of the teachers that teach in the public school system are are they themselves being victimized by indoctrination? But they're doing heroic things. How about teachers that teach kids who have health disadvantages or or mental health issues? How about teachers who teach autistic kids? I have a niece who I dearly, dearly love who teaches autistic kids. And she gets injured. She gets injured on a regular. But she goes right back in. And she continues teaching. She continues loving on these children. You know, it's awesome that she does that. It's awesome. I, I can't believe it. I, You know, look, if I have who I'm trying to help and they're they're trying to hurt me, well, they don't know that they're trying to hurt you. They don't know what they're doing. But her love for them and her care for them sends her back in, injured. And she cares for them. How about parents? You know what? Listen, we hear in the world today um, so many parents. I'm thinking of many, many parents um, that are just simply extraordinary human beings. They parent in such a way, gosh, I just don't even know, man. You Against all the odds, they just get it done. Get it done. Some work multiple jobs. Some are trying to find their way. Some maybe don't have a mate that helps them. Some maybe have to work against their mate. Maybe sometimes their mate is like one of the kids. It's really interesting to me. You see parents that get up in the morning, they find a way to get the kids up, get them dressed. They may not have matching socks on, and they may wear two different shoes when they get to school, and maybe their hair isn't perfect, but i got to tell you, they get them there. They get them fed, they get them there. They get it done. They get it done. Parents. How about rappers? You know, rappers perform a very valuable service in the world. They bring a very important culture to the... No, they don't. I can't even say that with a straight face.
There are some rappers, though, people that do that that genre of, I'll say music, I don't know that I would call it music, of entertainment, I would say. What's his, what's his name? Lecrae. That dude brings it. And there's a few others that really, really do amazing things. I don't know why, but they tend to be, they tend to be Christians. Why is that? The vast majority of the ones that do the right thing are Christians. But by and large, the, the, the message of the rapper is... And, and, and let me just say this. Christian school parents, you better go through your kids' I, iTunes list. You better go through their their uh, their players, their Rhapsody and, and their Pandora and all that stuff. Go through and listen to what they're listening to. You say, well, I don't have time. You don't have time not to. You don't have time not to. You Listen, I, I, I'm just going to tell you this. Some of you Christian school parents, your kids are listening to things that undermine every single thing that you spend all of that money to educate them against. You better listen to your kids' music. Look at what they're doing on the Internet. You better pay attention. You talk about heroes. I don't, I don't know that I would put most rappers in that. Are there some good ones that are doing good things and, and, and delivering a great message? Yes. But how about entertainers? You know, there's a lot of people out there that are entertainers, and they do a lot of things. But my lands. My lands. Heroes? I don't think so. But people like Miley Cyrus and 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 all the, all of these different ones out there, not just to pick on her, but my goodness, folks. And we often measure what they do. We look at we we say the value of what they do is measured by how much money. Well, they're making millions of dollars, making hundreds of millions of dollars. They'd be doing some right. Mm, not really. Hey, let me share this really quick with you before we bring our guest on. Um, there's a thing that I posted on Facebook that I honestly, I don't know if I've posted it yet. Um, I need to post this on the Facebook, the Facebook, um, my buddy, Jerry from Pennsylvania, talk about a hero, that guy, he's a hero. He's an American hero. Small town Americans are bitter. So they cling to their guns and religion. That's Barack Obama. And then grumpy cat. You ever see this grumpy cat? He's awesome. I notice your Muslim buddies cling to guns and religion, too. And there's a picture of Barack Obama, Barack Hussein Obama. The rich don't pay their fair share, Grumpy Cat says. Says the man who takes $100 million vacations on taxpayer money. And here's Barack Hussein Obama. If the economy doesn't turn around in three years, I will be a one-term proposition. Grumpy Cat says, why are you still here? I'm for the middle class, says Hussein Obama. Grumpy Cat says, yes, your $102,000 a year dog walker was telling me that. Then there's Hussein Obama who says, if my daughters make a mistake, I don't want them punished with a baby. First of all, good lands. Idiot. Grumpy Cat responds, your parents made a mistake and punished all of us with a baby. 
Hussein Obama says, a woman has a right to contraceptives. I, I don't see that in the con- in the uh, Constitution, the Bill of Rights. I don't see that, but okay. Grumpy Cat says, if I had a time machine, I'd give one to your mother. Hussein says, I think that a cert- at a certain point you've made enough money. Grumpy Cat says, says the man who throws a $40,000 a plate fundraiser. I will have the most transparent administration in history, says Obama. Grumpy Cat says, yep, I can see right through you. I was a constitutional law professor, Hussein says. (laughs) And Grumpy Cat says, you must have really sucked at that. Amen, brother. Cut lands. It's a great uh, great quote here. My buddy Steve, they want to be adored, not idolized. They crave fame, not fidelity. Well said. I remember a time back, um, Charles Barkley, I remember, uh, I remember, you know, him saying, look, I'm not a hero. I'm I'm not a role model. Parents, you be the role model. If your kids are following me for what to do, I mean, you're making a huge mistake. Don't follow me. Follow your parents. Pay attention to what your parents tell you. Pay attention to what your parents tell you. Don't don't follow me. I'm just a sports guy. Here's the thing. And this is the really big thing. When is the last time you saw the black community, and I put those in air quotes, exalt as a hero or at least a role model, a conservative black man or woman? In fact, you've seen what the black community does to black people who are conservatives. And I I want you to just ask yourself why. Why? Why do they do that? Ask yourself why. Ask yourself why virtually an entire community turns against, not just doesn't support, but turns against the very people that they should be emulating. Why? Maybe you're white or not black and you say, well, why should this matter to me? I'm not in or part of, air quotes, the black community. Why would I care or get involved with this issue at all? Why, why, would, I even, why would it even matter? When we come back from break, uh, I'm going to have somebody on here that I'm proud to know. He every day is is making himself a hero. Uh, he's he's doing it right and getting it done. And I, I'm going to be proud to introduce you to him just right after this break. Hang with me. We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages. Hey, listeners, let me tell you something really quick. Listen, if you own a gun, not even if you carry a gun, not even if you have a concealed carry permit, but if you own a gun, you need to listen up. You need to get a pen, you need to get paper, something. You need to click into your notes in your smartphone and, and take this number down. First of all, the first number is 
20630. Don't worry, I'll repeat it. 20630. Listen, you have the right to defend yourself and your loved ones and your home. All of that stuff is true. You know it is. But the moment you pull the trigger or pull your gun, you are at risk for devastating legal and financial consequences. You know, you can be arrested. You can be jailed. You can be sued. You can be fired. You can be bankrupted. Even when you've legally and justifiably used a gun in self-defense. Listen, you don't have to let this happen to you. Just call Second Call Defense. That number you want is 20630. Listen, it's going to get you a whole month free. 20630. I'll give you the number in a second. You're going to enjoy, listen, when you become a member, you're going to enjoy peace of mind of having immediate and comprehensive legal and financial protection at your fingertips the moment you pull your gun, the moment you pull the trigger, no matter where you are in the United States. You just make two calls. Your first call should always be to 911 to request an ambulance and law enforcement. And listen, we'll tell you exactly what to do, what to say, how to say it. Your second call should be to second call defense. Listen, we've got your back. It's complete legal protection for armed self-defense, and it is fully endorsed by the NRA. It's fully backed by the NRA insurance program. Folks, you've got to have this coverage. I have the Cadillac protection, which is the ultimate coverage, and I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. People say, well, I've got homeowner's coverage. That'll protect me. I've got an umbrella policy, civil liability policy. No, no, it won't. In fact, it's specifically excluded. You say, well, I'll get a public, a public defender. They'll keep me out of jail. No, they won't. First of all, usually public defenders are from liberal colleges and liberal law schools. They hate guns. They hate people that carry guns. And they're, they don't understand uh, lethal force to start with. They're overworked. They're underpaid. Is that what you want to bet your freedom on? Is that what you want to bet your financial future on? That? Are you kidding me? 877-502-3300. Secondcalldefense.org. You want to give them this number, 20630. That's a Ninja Pastor's number. You give them that, they're going to give you a free month. Go to God and Country Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, there's a place where you can sign up. You, you, you know, sign up by the means of putting in your information for the show uh, to follow the show. But there's links on there. Once you do that or on that page, there's a link there, and that will show you exactly where to go. You click on that link, go, get all kinds of information. There are no contracts. You're not locked in. And once you get your money back, your free uh, month back, they, they never come back and take it back. This is the best coverage out there. Trust me. I've researched it all. Join. Hey, Happy Warriors. This is a Ninja Pastor here. Please, this is very important. If you could, follow and subscribe this show. You know what? My statistics for this show don't count unless you are a subscriber or a follower. Uh, what you do is you go to blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor. And if you use Twitter and Facebook, follow us at the ninja pastor. And on Facebook, click on sign up just under my photograph under www.facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Subscribers, you get notifications first of all of our shows anywhere we're appearing. And it's all free. Nobody steals your information. Again, if you could click on follow and subscribe here at www.blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor if you're on twitter and facebook follow me at the ninja pastor go to facebook.com backslash god and country radio click follow and sign up thanks a bunch man i really appreciate it way to go happy warriors welcome back to the collision of faith and politics here again is dr sean
Hey, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for hanging in there. Hey, listen, I want to bring on uh, a young friend of mine. His name is Gerald Foster. And, um, you know, it, as interesting of a kid as you ever want to meet a kid, he's a young man now. Uh, he was born and raised in Mitchellville, Maryland. And he's the third of four children to Greg and Carol Foster, who I can I can personally attest are awesome people. You want to talk about heroes. Um, he was homeschooled all through elementary, middle, and high school. You imagine? He, and he got into college. You know, uh, President Barack Obama wants to end homeschooling. You know that, right? Big initiative out there. He's a uh, he, he's big, huge fan of that. He didn't get to that so far in his administration, but he, he hates, hates homeschool. Well, Gerald was homeschooled all through all of school. He played four years of high school football for the Maryland Christian Saints. That's where I met him and his family. Um, the Maryland Christian Saints are a, a team for homeschoolers uh, who want to play football. Uh, and I'll tell you what, at a very high level, national level, uh, they've won the national championship on several occasions. Uh, I actually traveled down to Florida. My son played uh, with Gerald in the national championship, and they came up second, but they've won it several times. Um, just a tremendous uh, organization, and Gerald was really pivotal with that for four years, really a, a great leader. Uh, he's currently, what he's doing now, he's uh, he's a junior at Stevenson University. He's uh, this major is fascinating to me, film and moving image major with a concentration in writing and a criminal justice minor. He's not busy, is he? He's not busy. He's got nothing to do. Uh, nothing to do but sit on the radio with the ninja pastor. He's a second-year resident assistant on campus as well as vice president to one of the Christian clubs on campus. I was very pleased and, and honored that he uh, invited me to come and speak there uh, to his group, and it was a great group of people, really, really fun. And just some fun stuff about him. He went to Okinawa, Japan for three weeks in his senior year of high school. Uh, and he worked two summers as a paintball camp counselor at a camp that I went to uh, for two weeks as a kid. It's the only camp I ever went away to, River Valley Ranch in Maryland. So uh, first, I'm going to bring him on. Welcome, everybody, to Gerald. Uh, just a, a great human being, a really neat guy. And um, so welcome, Gerald. Thank you for, for joining us today. I appreciate you accepting my invite. No, thank you for uh, inviting me. I'm glad I could uh, come on and uh, make some time in my schedule. Uh, this is the one Monday I don't have anything else going on, so I'm glad I could uh, Rock on. Happen. That's that's what you call good planning for class schedule, right? You know, you, I guess. You, expect to, <laughs> you expect to learn that by your junior year, right? You, you know, how to schedule your classes. Don't you schedule any 8 a.m. classes. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, last last semester I had all ADMs every day, and it was pain. Oof, brutal, brutal, brutal. Well, what are you going to do? Sometimes that's that just happens. That'll be how work is. Um, so the first thing I want to ask you, uh, not for nothing, but little by little, we're going to talk about um, some things that are on your mind. And you wrote a post that I was particularly moved by, where you talked about uh, heroes, and that's kind of what this this role models and heroes. Uh, that's kind of what this is about today. But I want to ask you uh, three things you do in your first year if you were president. Not the first 90 days. You, you barely are learning where the bathrooms are in 90 days. Um, you know, the first year. What do you think first you'd do? Year. First year, what would I do as president? That's a big question. Um, well, for one, I would definitely want to really understand what, my, you know, 
what's the most important issue facing my country on a lower level, you know, and not not necessarily look at what I'm dealing with with other countries and that kind of thing. What is tearing my what is tearing my country apart from the bottom, and you know, not looking at my relations with other countries and whatnot because I can fix all of that later, and there are other countries that are always going to not like me or be bothered with me or have issues with trading and all that jazz, but figure out, okay, what's going on in, you know, my cities, you know, my states and that kind of thing first, then I'm, you know, I'm helping, you know, I'm working on looking good for other countries, but in reality I'm dying from the inside. So that would be my first objective is to like really figure out, okay, what's, what's bothering, you know, my, my country on a lower level, what's bothering those cities and then figuring out ways, okay, how can I make, help those state governments do what they need to do to improve, you know, their individual issues. So that, that would be the first thing. It's a little broad, but that, that would no, be no, the first No, no, it's a good one. Um, second thing I would do is look at, okay, what, you know, what are my issues that are facing me at hand? What are what are things that are threatening my people and, you know, our way of life? And whether that's internally, whether that's externally, whether or not we're looking at threats from, you know, other countries or whether or not we're looking at, you know, threats going on from groups that are within us, you know, I would address that first, you know, like right off the bat, like, okay, we're going to eliminate, especially internal threats, you know, I want to get that out of the way so we can continue to function and do what we need to do to have a greater impact on the world going out. You know, uh, one of those things, this is uh, a personal, uh, I wouldn't say vendetta or anything like that, but like just a personal uh, project of mine is bringing light to the issue of human trafficking. It's one of those things that it's a big issue in this country and it's a big issue in, um, you know, in the world. And yet, what is uh, it? We're, I think so, a lot of people so, don't know what it is. What What is human trafficking? Okay, so basically, human trafficking is the um, the long, the short version of the definition is basically the unlawful uh, and the unwanted uh, use of human beings for labor and or uh, prostitution uh, for monetary gain. Um, and a lot of times, basically, you're taking uh, individuals, you know, against their will or um, blackmailing them or kidnapping them or wherever and using them to, I guess, if you're, say, you kidnap a bunch of people from one country like Russia, and you bring them over here and you have them work as maids or you have them work as gardeners or wherever, you know, in this country to, you know, rich people or whoever, and then on top of it, they're, you're seeing all the money from it, not those people that are doing all the hard work. They're here, you know, illegally sometimes. Sometimes they are, like, they are brought here illegally, and they figure out a way to get them here illegally, but then they're stripped of their identity so that they are stuck in that uh, stuck in that uh, industry. And then on top, and then sex trafficking basically works the same way, where they'll kidnap girls um, or women, depending on where you're at in the country, and they'll, you know, press them into... Uh, you know, becoming prostitutes, that kind of thing. So that's an issue that is very big, especially even on the East Coast. Maryland's one of the, uh, I guess, hotspot states for passing through of human trafficking. And unfortunately, it's not something that's widely talked about. People are more concerned about drugs and guns, where drugs are an issue, and drugs might be, guns may be an issue in some people's eyes, but I don't think it's had as much of an impact as human um, trafficking has on this country. There's still some 37 million people in slavery around the world, and uh, there are a couple million of those people in America itself. So 
if I was president, that would be like the second thing I would definitely look at is like, this is a huge issue that we're not even taking time to address and we're spending all this money uh, dealing with other issues or attention at least dealing with all these other issues. And no one talks about human trafficking, you know, at all. It might come up in a movie or a TV episode every now and then, which is doing its best to bring light to that. But in reality, you know, no one's actually doing anything about it. There are a couple of small task force in different states that are actually doing something about it. Um, the FBI has their task force about it. In fact, uh, recently, last week, they did a raid in uh, Georgia and a couple other states and ended up freeing 149 uh, different victims as well as arresting uh, numerous different like, uh, traffickers and pimps and that kind of thing. So um, that would just be my second thing, uh, to really put focus on that. A lot of people don't know about it, and a lot of people aren't worried about it. I mean, a lot of people aren't worried when they walk out of their houses, you know, their you know wife is going to go missing or if they're going to go missing gardener that you hired to help cut the grass if they're really seeing the money that you're paying them they might do good work but they might not actually see any of that work and they keep living in really hard conditions because they've been trafficked in every country you know they thought they were going to be able to come here become a citizen and you know be part of the land of opportunity but in reality they were tricked into coming here so um that, that's my second thing I, I don't even know what the third thing i would do i, I guess i don't know <laughs> Uh, probably spend um, uh, just a little bit more time uh, figuring out how I can help. After dealing with all my internal issues, just figuring out how I can help, you know, external uh, issues. And other countries that are said to be my allies, that I claim to be their allies, actually helping them with their issues and not looking to make allies of the countries that don't uh, like us. Well, I think America has just gotten a... Uh a good, a really good picture of why you're on this show. Because those those were some of the best answers I've heard, and I've had lots of great, great people on the show, and I've I've interviewed with lots of great people, and, and that's one of the best answers I've ever had. It is a very difficult question. Um, you know, most people would anticipate a uh, college kid, a junior in college, to say, well, the first thing I would do is I would make um, – contraceptives uh, free for everyone, and the next thing I would do is make college free for everyone because college is a right, and the next thing I would do is, and then some inane thing that has no relation to reality, and we would all have to kind of turn our heads and go, well, isn't that something? So you gave a very cogent answer and a very real answer. So let me ask you this. Do you uh, now this? I know how you were raised. I know who you are. I know uh, your parents. Um, I know that you were homeschooled. That says a lot, right there, first and foremost, because um, I know an awful lot of homeschool kids, and uh, the majority of homeschool kids are very intelligent. They they uh, they they enter college. Uh, there was a time where homeschool kids were kind of looked down upon by colleges, but now colleges are starting to realize, even Ivy League colleges are starting to realize, hey, these kids are smart and they're very well prepared. Uh, they write more cogently than they express more cogently than they, they you know, through their, their, their uh, verbal skills are phenomenal. Their expression skills are phenomenal. And their emotional intelligence is very, on a very high level. So now there's, there's actual, uh, you know, Ivy League schools that are recruiting them. But I want to ask you something about race relations. 
I want to ask you, because you're a junior in college, um, do you see race relations? How, how do you see them, I guess I should say? How do you see race relations right now in this country? I mean, not, not you don't have to look back past, you know, because I think you're, what, 21 years old, 20, 21 years old. But, uh, you know, how do you see it? What do you what do you think the state of race relations right now in this country is? Uh, definitely. I'm glad you asked me that because uh, I wasn't going to uh, even try and answer anything that's happened before what I've seen um, as, as far as how old I've gotten and when I first started noticing, you know, I guess racism being an issue and that kind of thing. Because my parents grew up in like the 70s and, you know, the 60s and the 70s and can ask them like the same question and a totally different answer from what, you know, I'm going to try and like, I guess, convey. But for me, I think race relations are very rough. Um, you, to an extent, where I, I would agree that we are a lot better, you know, along as far as black people and white people communicating or Asian people communicating and that kind of thing. And, you know, how we interact with each other and it's easier to become friends with these people or to work with these people, um, you know, of different races and back cultures and backgrounds and whatnot. And unfortunately, though, I still think that to a large extent, there's this holding of things that maybe have happened or still feeling, I guess, you know, walked over by each other. You know, I'm not just saying, you know, black people feeling that, you know, the white man or whatever has held them down and that kind of thing, even though that is, that might be true in some areas or some situations. But, you know, there are other situations, you know, other races that have, have had to deal with racism that um, no one wants to address. Asians had to deal with racism. Uh, still do to an extent. We always assume, like, the smart people are Asians and that kind of thing. And I go to college. Like, I, I go to a college where there aren't a lot of Asians that go here, but the ones that do, a lot of times people assume that they're smart and, you know, or, like, they're these super genius people. And I'm not knocking their intelligence or anything like that, but that's just a stereotype that they're going to fall into. Or, you know, you have, like, issue is, falling into, I think everyone as a whole, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, uh, Italian, whatever, like any sort of race background or whatever you want to, you know, say, I feel like everyone has unfortunately fallen into, uh, has begun to accept the stereotypes that other races have given them, and that is just making things worse. Like, if you're black, you're supposed to, you know, be against the white people or something like that. If you're Asian, you're supposed to be know, super duper smart. If you're Hispanic, you're supposed to be kind of crazy, you know, and part of a gang or something like that. So I think what's starting to happen is, at least in my generation, everyone's trying to tie into these stereotypes that people before me have worked so long to get rid of, you know, or not even seeking an identity in themselves. You know, they're not trying to say, like, who am I as a person? Who I am as a human being? I mean, I might be black, like speaking for myself, you know, I'm a African-American man in America. Hey, keep your uh, if if I could give you a tip really quick, a radio tip. Keep your mouth right up to the um, microphone because periodically we're losing you, like in and out. So if you could just okay. keep your mouth right onto it, it's something I do too. Um, <clears throat> let me let me just um, something you just said kind of keyed in my mind. Do you this whole Black Lives Matter? You just you know you'll notice, folks. I didn't say. Hey, my friend Gerald, who's black, will be on the show today. I said, my friend Gerald. Oh yeah. You know, the the 
people make fun of me because uh, a lot of times I engage the whole Black Lives uh, Matter crowd, and they'll often say, you know, well, you don't know anything. You're a white guy. You have privilege. You don't you don't know anything about what we're going through. And I'll say, you know, I grew up with black people. I, I some of my best friends, one of my very best friends, is a black guy. It's a fifty year old black guy, and I grew up with him. I know what he went through. I was right next to him in the military. My best friend was a black guy. He still is black, by the way. He didn't stop being black. Um, and and so you know, uh, in fact, we we had it. We I'll just admit this. I haven't always been a preacher. Uh, we did have a hustle where we played people in basketball, other other uh, sailors and Marines and other military people, and I was the relatively tall white guy, and I couldn't play basketball at all, allegedly. And we would be on the uh, you know the courts, and and he would be playing, and he would be hitting everything. I'd be terrible, you know, and and the guys would want to come up, and the military guys. They, you know, they want to bet money if they think they can win. And so uh, I would just get a little bit better every time. And he and I, his name was Dot, he and I would walk away with so much money. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that was our hustle. That's how we made our Christmas money. You pulled but, uh, a white man can't jump. That's a movie. I did. I did. And at the end, <laughs> I would <exact> dunk. <laughs> at the end, I would dunk. Dot would dunk throughout the whole time. You know, I'd feed him, you know, accidentally feed him one near the rim and he'd grab it and dunk it. And then at the end, when we were finished getting all the money we could get, uh, pretty much when they catch on to us, uh, I would end up jamming, <clears throat> jamming a ball. So, uh, but let me ask you this: Do you have any frustration with the Black Lives Movement and the statements regarding the All Lives Matter? Because at the 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 Santa Claus debate, I mean the Democrat debate recently, uh, we were told that. Um, there was a question that was posed to, I think Anderson Cooper. I don't know. I remember. I don't remember who asked the question, but it was posed to all of the candidates. You know, make a statement right here and right now. Do Black Lives Matter or do all lives matter? Does that ever frustrate you? And what are your feelings on that whole movement? The Black Lives Matter versus the All Lives Matter. I mean, for me, I'm just kind of frustrated that both that that they both literally had to come up that it. I came to a point where black people felt they had to make a movement that their lives matter. And it's, from my viewpoint, it's like all of a sudden black lives matter. And in reality, they've always mattered. You know, all lives have always mattered. You know, Asian lives have mattered. You know, Jewish lives have mattered. White people's lives have mattered. If you're a human being, you know, in my thought as a Christian, your life has mattered. You know, because you can do great things with your life. You can also do, choose to do terrible things with your life. You know, and you know, Christ died on the cross to save your life in the first place. So, you know, if he did that, then it has to matter somehow. So, I think individuals' lives matter. Um, I whether I completely disagree with what black people are trying to do with the Black Lives Matter, no. But at the same time, I think the way they're going about doing it and this whole approach that Black Lives Matter and trying to get everyone to say it, okay, well, what is your, you know, like what's the what's the main point of that? You know, are you just trying to, like, get people to say that, to agree with you? Or, like, and my, my biggest complaint with that is, do you really believe it yourself? Because to a large extent, in, like, certain areas, there's still a lot of, you know, black-on-black racism, black-on-black crime, you know, while killing each other and that kind of thing. And I, I just don't see, like, if 
it truly did. If you want the rest of the world, if you want it to matter to the rest of the world, can we first make sure it matters to each other? You know, and I think mm, that's hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There was a nugget right there. There was a nugget right there. Um, mm-hmm. If you want it, if you want Black Lives Matter, if you want your life to matter to the rest of the world, it's got to matter to who? It's got to matter to yourself. It's got to matter to you, uh, and, and that keys into a very important component of what I've been saying over the past several weeks on this show is, uh, look, you know, I, I see a lot of people out there talking smack about, you know, and they're they're allegedly on the front lines because they're blocking roadways saying black lives matter and hands up, don't shoot, and all these different things. But but when you get one-on-one, and I had uh, several cases like this, but one of the cases that I had – uh, was a, a, a situation where uh, on social media I got engaged uh, by a group when I responded to a video of a fellow giving a speech, a, a relatively intelligent guy, not a super smart guy, but a relatively intelligent guy. He could be smarter if he opens up his mind some, uh, but he's one of these perpetual – he's hitched his wagon to the perpetually aggrieved and so he, we got engaged in this, and I, I laid some facts and some some data on him, some irrefutable data. And it, their their response was, uh, you know, one of defensiveness, and then you know you're a racist, and you don't understand because you're white, and and uh, and all and all of these different things. Uh, but I, at a certain point, I engaged him privately, and I said, listen. What I hear in your voice is a guy who claims to value himself, but I don't. I don't see that. I don't. I don't see you looking at your yourself and saying, "Hey, I'm a person of value." That the 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 uh, Almighty God, the Almighty God, not an Almighty God, the Almighty God, the great and gracious King of heaven and earth, the Creator of all, created me. That I'm a child of the Most High. I don't. I don't see that in you. I see a guy who's trying desperately, desperately to prove his worth to other people by stirring other people up and saying, "Hey, get on, get on board with me. Click like on my post. You know, like my YouTube video. Tell me I'm great. Please tell me I'm great." Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he wondered where that came from, and but he never refuted it. I noticed he never refuted it. What about the most damaging thing to racism, alleging racism where it isn't, and using it as a defense in every argument? How does that damage the cause? Because in this case, Gerald, uh, folks I have on with me, Gerald Foster, uh, he's at Stevenson University, junior at Stevenson University. Um, Did you hear, I don't know, you're not that far away, but you probably did hear about the whole nooses thing down at the University of Delaware. Do you remember hearing anything about that? I did hear it in passing. I didn't get a chance to look into it myself. Well, basically, let me bring you up to speed on it. What happened was um, some months before, in June, there was a, um, a group that hung these Japanese lanterns, which you've been to Okinawa, Japan. You may have seen them. They're these paper mache lanterns that have this little wire uh, kind of core to them. It's very, very small. And there was a pro-Second Amendment speaker that was brought into the University of Delaware privately. And um, where the Black Lives Matter group was protesting, near the front of the, the building, Mitchell Hall, somebody happened to, after the, the, uh, the speech went off and the person left, 
they happened to look up, uh, I guess it was about 11 o'clock at night, they looked up and saw these four little or three little wires hanging down. And they saw that as, well, that's a noose. That's a noose. Somebody put nooses here to send a message to us that we, uh, we're we going to be hung, that we better we better shut up. We as black people uh, and, and uh, sympathizers to the black and white, sympathizers to Black Lives Matter, we better shut up or we're going to be lynched. And the next day, you know, they went, they didn't go to the police first. They went to the newspaper, the review, the UD review. And the UD review came out really fast. They took pictures uh, of, oddly enough, uh, two people underneath these air quotes nooses. And they were hugging each other, consoling one another because they were so upset. Well, the next day when it came out, immediately it was uh, disproved. It was, it was uh, first of all, it was obvious to anybody, any reasonable person. But if you're looking to be aggrieved, you'll find a noose. I call it monsters under the bed. If you're, gonna, if you're looking for a monster under the bed, you're going to find a monster under the bed. Well, this group, uh, that's really what they were about. They were, they were really wanting to find a monster under the bed or, or uh, alleging racism where it isn't. Uh, so the next day, the, uh, privately, the people who hung these lanterns for another event, uh, again in June, and this happened, this all blew up, uh, I want to say in August or September, um, they, uh, you know, they went to the police department and they said, look, you know, we want to give our names out publicly. We don't want you to give our names out publicly, but this is what happened. They, they're from our thing, and when we took down the other ones, we could get the the other one's down, the whole lantern down, but we couldn't get these down. So we figured, well, we can't leave the paper mache part up there. So we thought, well, we'll just pull this down. So they did. Now, these things are tiny. You're talking about three to four inches long and about an inch and a half, two inches wide. We're not talking about, you know, noose size. It, it, it really, it's obvious what the things are. But even after that came out, the, the, the thing was um, they – you know, they just they said, well, it's not about that. If you want to believe that they weren't nooses, then fine. You can believe they're not nooses. I'm not convinced they're not nooses. Um, and the fact that I can think or that I would think they're nooses, that's the real problem. It's evidence that there's, you know, rampant racism here because the fact that my mind even went there. I I looked under the bed and I saw a monster. Because I saw a monster under the bed, when in fact there was no monster, that is evidence of racism. So, you know, what do you think is the most damaging thing? What what is causing it? Do you have do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, as you go through your life, you know, I've never known you. First of all, folks, let me just say this: Gerald Foster, pound for pound, one of the hardest hitting football players. I know you're a lot smaller than you were when you played football, but I mean, this, this kid, this kid could hit, and you played lineman and and all of that. I mean, you were just you would wreak havoc. And folks, when I talk about the Maryland Christian Saints, let me just say this: they were a national level team. Um, you know, they played some some really really amazing teams. But Gerald was all over the place, wreaking havoc, uh, getting the quarterbacks. Just, I mean, he just he didn't he didn't mess around. He was all business. Um. But you don't – I've never known you to ever identify. Like, I don't go around saying, you know, I am a white man. Look, if I went around, Gerald, and I said, um, 
you know, my name is Sean Greener. I'm a white man. And I'm doing all I can to overcome the white privilege that I have in this world. You know, I'm a white man. If I constantly, the same way with the whole gay movement, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand why, well, I do understand it. I understand from a, a political level and from an issues level um, why they're doing it. But, you know, America just falls for it every time. But but what do you think is causing the, what I think is a, a major surge in racism or allegations of racism in this country. What do you think? Um, me personally, I think I think it's just a lot of fear. To be honest with you, it's it's this fear of something that could happen, but may not even be there. You know, and I think I think what starts to happen is when I talk to some of my more because um, I have a lot of like friends of different cultures and races and that kind of thing. And so I have friends that are black that won't necessarily associate or hang around white people. And I think a lot of times when we talk and that kind of thing, and when we're hanging around and they say, you know, we, we see like white people, you know, I, a lot of times I don't think first thought, okay, is this person going to be racist to me if we have a conversation or an encounter or what, you know, I just wait for that thing to play out as it happens. I just see another person and like, you know, we're out somewhere and, that person's a waitress and that kind of thing. I don't think that this person's going to, you know, not serve me or say something uh, rude to me because I'm black. You know, I think this person is going to do their job and, you know, they're going to be cool about it. They may say something rude, but that might be because they're just a rude person. But if it does turn out to be because they don't like black people, okay, well, that sucks for them. It's an issue that they have. And I think a lot of times um, some of my friends will jump to conclusions about a uh, a non-black person or a white person um, because they think that, you know, a large percentage of white people are still racist or that they don't uh, like black people or they're scared of black people. So it's not necessarily a fear of the white person or, you know, some that's not black. It's just the fear of, you know, racism in general. Like racism is the monster and then they throw everyone that doesn't look like them into that monster. And so they're just like, when they see a, a white person, they're like, oh, my gosh, this person's going to give me a hard time. Or, like, I bet you they walk the other way. Or, you know, I bet you they, you know, aren't going to serve us right away and that kind of thing. And it's kind of sad because it's just like, well, what are you scared of? You know, okay, if they walk the other way, are they you know, are they threatening you or anything like that? You know, and if not, then, you know, what's the problem? And I think this is going off of what people have told me. Part of the reason why I have so many different friends of different, you know, uh, cultures and backgrounds and races and that kind of thing is I don't try to assume anything about a person. I don't try to think that this person could like, potentially harm me, even though I do have that thought in the back of my mind. Uh, let me tell you, I'm one of those kind of not paranoid, but at the same time, I like, I know I'm always assessing situations and thinking of possible, like, all right, if this person jumps bad, how am I going to take him down? Or how am I going to at least get out of here and that kind of thing? So and then no means am I assume everyone's this good person that, you know, we're going to all walk hand in hand with each other, but I'm not going to jump straight away to, you know, if I see a, a you know, a white person that, you know, okay, this person's going to be you know, a racist or whatever. I mean, if I, every single time, I definitely would have played on the Saints all four years because, mind you, I was one of, I think there were no more than like four uh, African-American guys on the team all at once where the rest of them, everyone else was, uh, you know, either white or, you know, something like that. And 
we all got along fine. You know, if I went into the mindset of, oh, my gosh, these people are going to jump me one day after practice. I mean, we practiced near the woods. You know, there was at no moment that I think that I was going to get drugged back somewhere and killed or beat up or not made the starting lineup or something like that. You know, these were some of the coolest, you know, people that I've met, let alone the fact that they happen to be white. I mean, one of my, a couple of my best friends from the, from my life are from that experience. So, and all because I wasn't scared to talk or interact with them and, you know, get to know them as an individual. And I think that's a big problem where we're lumping ourselves into these groups saying that, okay, black people are scary and threatening or white people are scary and threatening and that kind of thing. And not, you know, not even taking a moment to even think, okay, what about this person as an individual? You know, are they racist or are they, you know, oh, are they cool? Are they completely fine with who I am as a human being? And let's make friends with that individual. Don't just because that one experience of that one racist white guy that you met, you know, in the airport or whatever, put all these, you know, all, you know, white people into the same, you know, into the same boat, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. I um I have to say there there comes a point I think in uh in the world when we we have to we have to kind of force ourselves to face a reality that we may or may not want to face and I think a lot of times folks um they create a reality that just simply isn't there. Um and and it's frustrating to me because we miss a lot of important Living, we miss a lot of important life by um, sailing on yesterday's wind. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying, but it's one of my favorite sayings. That you know, uh, listen, what happened yesterday, what happened 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you know, we need to be aware of it because we need to be aware of history. But you know what? We we have to, we absolutely have to be aware that we create today, we create tomorrow by how we deal with today, how we prepare for tomorrow. And there comes a point where we just simply have to get real uh, with each other. You know, God created us all. We're all, we we are absolutely all in this together. We we don't think we are. Uh, my contention is based on my uh, my experiences is that the um, this administration has fomented this because they want us to be divided. Uh, there's a there's a, a very uh, there's a lot of evidence to indicate that this administration wants the nation to be divide, divided among um, racial lines. It's just it's very very important to this administration to divide. In order to conquer, they've got to divide, uh, and then I think that's just a reality that we have to face. We have to we we have to accept the fact that look. This is re- this is reality in in this United States, and turning our heads to it and, or saying, well, you know, why would he want to do that? that you, you, we don't ask a rattlesnake why they're going to bite us. They don't. It's just there's no point in that. We don't have a conversation with the rattlesnake. We just realize the rattlesnake's going to hurt us if we allow the rattlesnake to hurt us. So uh, my goal is is in, in all that I do, whether it's uh, speaking across the country or. Uh, or my radio show, or my Sunday messages, is look, folks, we we've got to get past all this. What happened well in the past, and and people's fears of monsters under the bed, and we got to get real, because you know what, ISIS is coming. ISIS is coming, and they're they're coming to kill us while we're whining about how you know we were 
you know, the kid in front of me in the lunch line, he got three cookies and I only got two. Uh, you know, and thereby, you know, I'm I'm not liked because of my race or my gender or my hair color or the way I'm dressed, and that's why I only got two cookies. You know, it's just it wastes time because we're up against the enemy is is up against us. The enemy, the evil of of the enemy of Satan, huge thing, huge thing, uh, and that's driving everything else. But you know, let me and I I think this is important because you clearly are a thinker. Um, I'm getting a lot of compliments in private messaging and other places of, of how intelligent you are, and I knew how tar- articulate and intelligent you are, so that's not a surprise to me, nor is it a surprise to your parents. Your parents are awesome. I know that they're listening. You guys did a great job raising this young man and your other children as well. Um, thanks, you Mom. are, as far as I'm concerned, heroes. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Um, Dad gets no credit, by the way. Again, he gets no credit. <laughs> So, or if, if I don't give mom a shout out, dad said, I'll try if you never give me a shout out, whatever, but you better thank your mother no matter what you do or what you like to compliment. And you know what? Thank mom you. does the cooking. Mom does the cooking. <laughs> and you want to eat it. when you go home. You know what I'm saying? You want to eat when you go home. So, very wise move, very wise move. Who are your heroes? Who are your heroes? Oh, man. Uh, okay, so first off, I'm just going to go ahead and fly out, say my parents, and they're going to laugh probably, but. I, I really do feel like I need to say this. My parents both came from New York, and they both came from, uh, like, lower middle class or lower, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, poor, you know, people. Like, my mom specifically, but my dad to some extent as well. Um, my dad grew up in Brooklyn. My mom grew up in the South Bronx. Uh, they grew up in the hood, the projects, or whatever you want to call them. And they they looked at their lives and their situations and said, this is not where I want to raise my family. This is not where I want to be. I want to go on and do something. I mean, they, my grandparents, I give them, I give them a lot of credit because they were, they were bakers on both sides of the family. Uh, the husbands were bakers and moms uh, were either stay at home or my grandmother on my dad's side worked um, in the schools for a really long period of time. And, um, and so what I noticed they started to do is they wanted to make sure that their kids had, you know, opportunity to move forward. So um, my parents, my grandparents eventually moved out to Queens for my dad once they got into high school so that they could go to better schools and that kind of thing. Um, my mom was really smart. And so my, um, my grandparents on, on her side just made sure that, you know, she was in the best school and the best program that they could possibly afford and um, or that her and her siblings had the best, that they could give them. And so my parents, even though they looked at their situation um, and were thankful for what their parents had did, they said, we can do better. And so they just worked hard um, all throughout high school, all throughout college. That's where they met. And, you know, they both got their master's degree um, after they got married because they met in college, they graduated with their undergrad, they got married, they both worked on their master's degrees. Um, And I forget what they are, but, you know, they got their master's degrees. They um, went on to start their careers. My mom worked in the workforce for a little bit before she before she felt God called her home to be a stay-at-home mom. But my parents are, like, my biggest heroes. Um, and despite the fact they've made some bad decisions that sometimes they tell me about other times, there are other things that, that I know they've done that I don't really want to know or whatever, but they are people that, at the end of the day, um, I'm so thankful that they have they did what they did um, with the help making their lives better to you know, make our lives better. And that's all they ask of me and my siblings is to do a good job 
of trying to, you know, move forward, you know, and from where they came and to make, you know, our lives better, uh, just like they tried to make their lives better. So um, I'm just I'm ragging on my parents a little bit, but uh, I did want to give them that shout out. So thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. I know you're both listening. Um, and I know my little sister is listening, but I'm not giving her a shout out, even though she just sent me a text message about it. Yeah, so anyway, you know. Um, you know, moving you on. Hey, look, you can't let your little sister get a swelled head. You just got to be careful with that. So she is awesome, well, I though. Do. I do know your little sister, and she is, in fact, awesome. By the way, real quick, let me uh, let me say happy birthday to Steve Ducey, a friend of mine. He is um, the same Steve Ducey that's on Fox News, really, really great guy. Uh, it is his birthday today. I will not say what birthday it is, but talk about a guy who is, despite being so busy, um, with his life i mean he really 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 is a busy guy uh super great father super great father great husband just a genuinely really neat guy so anyway shout out to steve Ducey. um your parents are amazing parents and and your family is an amazing family so who else would you um who else would you say and and one of our commenters i really um i really appreciate her commenters and and my buddy craig the melting pot that was america and had one voice could not be controlled. A segmented and partitioned society could. They do not want Americans. There must be a hyphen. African American, Italian American, Mexican American. You know, the, the, the hyphen is what divides us. And we've got to strip away that hyphen, re, reject the hyphen, and, and say, hey, we're we're here together. We're all in this together. We live as one, we die as one. So, uh, who would uh, another one of your your heroes be? Okay, so another person that I look up to um, is Denzel Washington. Couple couple of reasons. For one, he is from the same area as my dad, so he's from New York. Uh, but one thing that I really like about him is that he's a really real, honest guy, and his in his work and even outside of his work. Um, He's a Christian. He's uh, claimed uh, our faith before, and uh, more so in, like, recent years, because I'm not sure if he's always walked that faith, but at least in recent years, uh, he's tried to do a better job of walking openly as a believer. And uh, and you can see that in kind of the roles that he's uh, chosen to play in the last couple of years. But one thing I do want to speak to about Denzel Washington and his uh just the roles that he's played as an actor. He's a brilliant actor. He's proven that he can play whatever and whoever and whatever that actor, whatever that character is, he can tap into it and do it. But one thing I've noticed, in with the few exceptions, he's always played the the clearer cut, the more respectable, the hero type. And he doesn't, with the exception of uh, Training Day, which. I guess is the biggest exception um, where he played this really crooked, messed up cop that just didn't care about anyone else when he cared about himself and did whatever, which he played to a T. He played the role perfectly. American Gangster. American Gangster is another one. That is correct. American Gangster, one of the best roles I've ever seen him play. Uh, I'm going to echo Denzel. You know, I've met him. He's down in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, where I'm from originally. Uh, he's down there a lot. I think he has a place down there. Really, really super nice guy. Great to veterans. Um, really, really a, a humble, humble man. Um, but I'll tell you, he, the role he played in Training Day, an American gangster, wow. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Really stellar. But at the same time, this is the same guy that would go on to play characters in, like, um, Two Guns, The Book of Eli, which is one of my personal favorite movies. Oh, yeah. Taking a poem, one, two, three. All these, all these all, I can go on and on about the different uh, characters that he plays. But in these other movies that I've listed, he's a little bit more. Um, the Great Debaters is another really good one. He actually directed that film. Man yep. on Fire is another great one. Long story short, he's played these characters that are still good. They're still, they might have this, you know, human complex. Of course, they're complex people and they have their issues and they have their things that they've done wrong. But at the same time, he plays a character that at the end of the day, you're rooting for it. At the end of the day, you want to see be successful. You want to see him get it out of the boat. And he's not always being stuck with playing, you know, the bad character or trying to always play the bad guy or that kind of thing. He's trying to present, you know, a strong, powerful, you know, African-American man in a positive light, kind of like the way Sidney Poitier did back in his heyday. He was usually played the more positive, the stronger, you know, character that, I guess, for me as a, as a, as a black person growing up was like, you know, this is something positive. I don't have to grow up to be a gangster. I don't have to be grow up to be, you know, uh, Hip hop artist or a rapper or something like that. You know, I could do anything that Denzel does because you know Denzel's a black guy like me, and um, that's just one of the things I really love about him. And on top of it, off off the camera, he's just a great guy. So you know, cutting the black thing out, you know, he would be the same. I feel like if he was white, black, or whatever. You know, so that's just one of the reasons why I'm a big Denzel fan. I'll go see all the movies. I think I've seen just about every movie he's done in theaters since Book of Eli, which has been quite a few. But, um, yeah, that's just that's another one. Awesome. Who else? All right. Um, I actually wrote a bunch of these out, and I'm just going to kind of bounce around a little bit. I'm going to try and work with people doing stuff today. Uh, Ray Lewis is a, another um, guy that I have a lot of respect for. Um, he had a really rough situation um, with the whole murder trial that he dealt with, whether or not he was actually part of it or whether or not he killed the car or whatever. But what I really do appreciate about what Ray Lewis did is outside of everything that went down that day, he turned his life around and realized he needed to get away from certain people, stop doing certain things, and he became a really big inspiration to so many, uh, you know, me personally, so many people playing football and just the, the, the sport in general, like, you know, you can take your life and turn it around and become something great from it and inspire people guy just a lot of my ideas and like intensity when I play football and trying to like you know pump my guys up and that kind of thing came from watching him work and watching the things that he would do on the field as far as leadership is concerned. So that's one guy that despite the the craziness surrounding his name early on in his career that he was, you know, found innocent of, he moved on to just, you know, make his name great outside of the craziness that happened in the beginning. You know, um, Reggie Whiteson was a great guy. He's a believer that played football for a long period of time. Sadly, he passed away um, in the early 2000s. But, you know, he was a really just a uh, great story of just um, you know, standing on your faith no matter what. Uh, Lecrae, I'm not a huge fan of rap, mind you, but I do respect what Lecrae is trying to do as an artist that he doesn't want to limit uh, the Christian message just to Christian people because if he limits his music to a way that it's only listened to or read by Christian artists, I mean, or Christians in general, then
then he's not going to reach the people that really need that. <laughs> so he's been just trying to collaborate with other artists who not, aren't necessarily Christian artists to get his music out there, and it's working. And I think that's kind of what uh, Christian artists and filmmakers and everyone needs to be doing is not limit yourself just to the Christian audience because they already got the message. You're preaching to the choir at that point. We're called to go out and preach the gospel for everyone. So, you know, mm-hmm. they need we need to be doing that just like what Lecrae is doing. And, you know, as a filmmaker, that's something I hope to eventually do. So, um, Hey, I want to, I want to talk in a minute about what you want to do, what your goals are. If you don't mind sharing them with the people, I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. Let me see uh, this other caller, other caller. If you're listening, it's got to be clean. You got to tell me who you are and where you're calling from. And it's got to keep it clean. Uh, I'm going to put you on hold for just a second, Gerald. I'll be right back to you. All right. Sounds good. Hello, this is Dr. Sean. Hello, my name is Jesse, and I'm calling from the Massachusetts 508 area. Awesome, awesome. What's on your mind, Jesse? Uh, Nothing much. I came to call in because I saw the interesting title. This is actually my first time listening in on the show, and it's very interesting, to be honest, from what I've heard so far. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you. Glad to have you. Massachusetts, the, uh, the home of the... Of the New England Patriots and the Boston Red Sox, man, oh man, you guys are you guys are serious fans. Oh yeah, <laughs> we we're, we get pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was just at a wedding in Washington D.C. of a great patriot and soldier uh, marrying a, a wonderful young lady from uh, that area, the Boston area. And during the wedding, uh, one of the funnest things was, in fact, if you, I think I posted it to Facebook. Um, they they sang the band sang and of course everyone at the wedding sang it with them sweet caroline so what what do they do at games do they they sing that instead of the seventh inning stretch they sing sweet caroline because everybody knew all the words yeah usually like towards the end of the game they start the band starts riling up and everybody starts singing sweet caroline the whole crowd gets into it doesn't matter if you're from there or not it's just kind of like it's kind of like tradition, to be honest with you. Well, it's awesome. It's it's an awesome thing. It was fun to watch at the game, I, I, or fun to watch at the wedding. I've never been to one of the games uh, there, but I hope to go one day. Uh, Philly Bob, my good buddy, is uh, he and Millie are on their way to uh, the link tonight to watch um, the Eagles play the Giants. I think they're playing, so he's in all of his regalia. That's why he's not with us today on the show. So do you have any questions for Gerald by chance? Um, well, I'm sorry, this is my first time listening to the show, so who's Gerald? Gerald uh, is our guest that's on, that's been on with us for the past 45, 50 minutes. Oh, um, not really, I was calling in because I heard you say something like, do not sail on yesterday's winds, and I thought that was an extremely profound and great quote, but I'd like to add on to that quote if you don't mind. Sure thing. All right. So since you said don't sail on yesterday's winds, I think we should focus on where yesterday's winds brought us, but also try to think of where tomorrow's winds will take us while taking in what yesterday's winds brought us to, you know? Yeah, great point. Great point. We have to have hope for the future, and there's no there's no more hopeful but realistic person than the sailor. You know, when you're out on the water and you can see no land, 
if you have no hope uh, for where the wind might take you, uh, you you are truly hopeless. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but I have, and and I can tell you, boy, you really, if wind is your power, uh, you, you you can reflect lovingly and joyfully on yesterday's wind, but that won't sail you forward until tomorrow's wind. Today you may have no wind, but tomorrow you have to look forward and, and search for tomorrow's wind. That's, that's a great add-on to that. One of my favorite other quotes is, um, and this is by... Um, uh, Abraham Heschel via uh, Dr. Skip Moen is something sacred hangs in the balance of every moment. Something sacred hangs in the balance of every moment. Every minute makes a difference. Every minute is worthwhile. So, hey, listen, what's your first name again? Jesse. Jesse, I sure appreciate you calling in. Please join us at uh, you know on Facebook.com uh, backslash God and Country Radio. Like us there and. Go and follow us on uh, the Sean Greener page. TheNinjaPastor.com has all of the uh, all of those links. And I sure appreciate you calling in today, Jesse. You've been a great caller. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. You have My a great pleasure. Day. Anytime, anytime. You do the same. All right, let's join back with Gerald here. We're trying to link back up. Uh, stuff is moving kind of slow today. I don't know if you guys know, but it's uh, nothing is working as it is intended. But that was a great call from. Jesse, good, good guy uh, from the the uh, Massachusetts area, the 508 area code. So you've had time, uh, Gerald, to think about that that last hero. Not that you can only have this number of heroes, but this last hero. Who who would you say that might be and why? Let's see here. Not sure what's up here. Let me let me give another try here. Hey Gerald, if you can if you can hear me, call back in because I definitely want to hear who your uh, I would definitely want to hear who your your last of uh, the chosen heroes are. But uh, call back in because I'm not I'm not hearing you. You might have hit mute or something. Let's see here. Up, oh, can we hear? Are we on? Is this thing on? I don't know. We're having a problem with uh, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, folks that are out there listening, can you hear me now? Because I don't know that you can. It's uh, The screen is going going nuts. It's going nuts, I'll tell you. So uh, anyway, give a try here. Let's see. All right, we're giving it a, we're giving it a try here. Everything is messed up at Blog Talk Radio. All right, all right, all right. Ugh. You know, it's funny. You try to. T- I'm supposed to be able to take. Uh, what is it? A hundred or a hundred callers? I'm supposed to be able to have a hundred callers at one time. I take two callers, and all of a sudden, everything's falling apart. What the heck? What the heck? So we're trying to get Gerald back on, uh, and and uh, you know, who knows here? Let's see here. Well, let's give it a try here. Let's try to bring Gerald back on. He's trying to come back on, folks, valiant effort as it is. So we were talking about heroes, and one of the heroes that uh, Gerald cited uh, were his parents. Uh, And, of course, and obviously his parents are important people. Uh, in, In the grand scheme of things, they are 
I know them. They're top-notch people. Uh, they're very they're people what I would call people of high value. You know what I'm saying? High value people. They're they're people that matter. Uh, they are quality people, and clearly and obviously they've raised quality kids. Um, and and Gerald is an example. All right, can you hear me now? I can kind of hear you, but uh, people are telling me that we can't hear you. So I'm going to go to commercial really quick, see if we can't fix it. We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages. All right, Gerald, are you back? Yeah, can you hear me? Awesome, man. We've we've, we've been through it. Uh, Thank you to all the listeners who stuck with us, and there's a bunch that bailed out. Uh, Driving me crazy. So one of the things I was saying while we're all jacked up there is that, listen, folks, you got to subscribe to the show. you got to tell all your friends about the show and get me on SiriusXM or something like that so that we don't have these issues because this drives me crazy. God bless Blog Talk Radio. I know it's technology but one of the things i said at the beginning of the show is i don't fear public speaking but i hate technical stuff i just I, oh, i'm true. terrible at it. Ah, i'm terrible at it so you've had lots and lots of time to um to to figure out who your who the last one you name is the last uh, hero but who might that be and why um this is, might sound like a cliche answer and i have a bunch of people written down but i'm going to go with this guy um Tim Tebow is a really, really big, um, just a really big inspiration to me, and I really love him because as a Christian, he's stuck with his faith, no matter how much stuff gets thrown out of him, how much how much crap he gets, he's just stuck with it, and continues to just make a difference, whether that has been in the NFL or, you know, as a, a as a talk show host on um, uh, SEC uh, Central or whatever um, the show he's on. And continues to just do great things, despite the fact that he didn't make it big in the pros. That he was ridiculed for how, you know, he how he is like perceived and looked at, you know, as a believer. But at the same time, the man is stuck with his faith and not giving up. And just continue to like move forward, uh, you know, as as the man he is. And that's just a lot of respect that I've always had for him. And I wasn't always a Florida fan, but when he played, I had, you know, had my vote to win. So. Well, you know what? Uh, it's not actually cliche. I would say this, that um, it, the interesting thing is, <laughs> you know, uh, four days from my crash, I was supposed to protect Tim Tebow. In fact, in the very same uh, vehicle that I was in uh, during the crash, the vehicle I was riding in during the crash, um, it he was to ride in. In fact, I had just gotten it fully detailed uh, for him, and uh, it was just all slick and ready to go. 
And Tim Tebow, uh, some some little known facts. So this would be just fun. It doesn't necessarily mean anything, uh, or maybe it does. Uh, Tim Tebow's jersey, everywhere he's played, everywhere from college to now, number one selling jersey in history. At Florida, number one selling jersey in the history of Florida. Number one selling still today. Number one selling. Then you go uh, to the pros. Every team that he played for, even when he was third string, number one selling jersey. Number one selling jersey of all time in Denver. Number one selling jersey of all time in New York. And number one selling jersey of all time in Philadelphia. How crazy is that? Uh, and I, I don't, maybe it's not crazy because I'll tell you what, uh, ESPN. You know, ESPN is uh, they they hate Christians. Um, oh, yeah. Well, they're owned by but, Disney, so owned by Disney. If you know a lot about Disney, no offense to the folks that are really, 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 really into Disney, <laughs> but if you if you know a lot about Disney, the folks that are behind Disney uh, really hate really hate Christians and and hate the the message of Christ. So. That said, uh, ESPN, they really went after him uh, ridiculously. And um, the guy's just a good guy. He's just a solid, good human being. Uh, he, When he was playing football, he spent his off-seasons in his parents' uh, orphanage and hospitals in the poorest areas of the world, in the Philippines. Uh, they, I'll tell you the truth, his his family are just amazing amazing people. You talk about heroes, but Tim Tebow uh, has never wavered from his beliefs. He's uh, and, and it'd be different. See, I, I hold the belief now, I'm not a football player and I don't have the pedigree that you have, uh, but I'll say this. Um, I, I don't happen to see that, that he didn't have more to contribute uh, in the football arena. And in fact, you look at what he did in Denver as a third string quarterback, although you know almost instantaneously brought into a a system that really was not suited for him, uh, and and he had success. You can say, well, it didn't look good. Well, his throwing, you know, motion didn't look good. And here's the other crazy thing about it is he just knows how to win. It doesn't. It, it may not look good, but he knows how to win. He makes it a point to win. And I find it very telling that his teammates. His teammates, whenever they're interviewed, say, "You know what? Yeah, it's it's crazy what happens around Tim Tebow, the the media crush, and you know all of these things. It's just it's just nuts uh, what happens." But but they all say the same thing. That let me tell you something. Tim Tebow is a straight up good guy. He is just a straight up good guy. We would have we would be uh, happy to have him on our team any time. That right. he's 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 always in it to win it. He's he's never uh, he, he he just doesn't quit. And I find it interesting uh, that he uh, how do I put this? He he can be relied upon to work out harder and to train and prepare harder than anybody else on the team and in fact uh the strength coaches and and the uh, you know the trainers on the team say look we have to stop him he he just doesn't stop he just he just no quit he just keeps after it 
You know, he just doesn't give up. He won't quit. And we have to actually stop him and say, hey, man, you know, you got to take a break. You're, you're going to kill yourself. And so I, I, I would share that. He is one of my heroes, too. Really, really super, super good guy. Well, I tell you, it's been great to have you on the show. Uh, I, I really appreciate you sticking with us with the technical difficulties and, uh, you know, all that. And um, But I, I want to ask you one more question, and I think this is, uh, you know, going to be of interest, too, because I'm getting a lot of incredible comments uh, about you being on the show today. Um, what, you know, and, and obviously any personal stuff, don't feel obligated to share, but what do you want to do next? Once you graduate from college, what's next? Uh, right now, I'm kind of I'm kind of exploring my options. But right now, what I really would love to do is um, my ultimate goal is to become a full time film writer, film director, and just make movies that inspire people and you know convince them to do better with their lives or to change how they're living or to change the way, you know, the world is around them and to, you know, just live fuller lives that, you know, are pleasing to God. And that's that's what I want to do with my movies and the messages that I put in my movies, that, you know, to make a difference. That's kind of my my hope. Um, so whether that route means I got to work in film for, I mean, in TV for a couple of years on the writer's table, writing for some different TV shows and just working my way up to that or um, wherever it may be, but I believe that the film industry has a big, big uh, impact on uh, how people think and function and just their mindset about some stuff. And if we can get a little bit more positivity and a little bit more of Christ in the mainstream film industry, I think that will really help too. And um, or just adults in general, the ones that we watch every week on TV or you know we go to see in the movies every couple of months and that kind of thing. I want those characters to, in some way, some shape or form or ever, point back to God, and hopefully that will help the people that see these films, you know, rely on him and eventually, you know, just live their lives out um, for him. So that's that's my life magnum opus, I guess, the big broad picture of what I'm going for. But uh, just on the kind of short term, I figured, you know, uh, a minor in criminal justice might help in working towards not just a writing background for my uh, top thrillers, movies, and that kind of thing, because I really love those, but maybe that will help with a job in the long run of maybe working in the government for a little bit of time and their uh, media film stuff, and uh, that will help present some stability so I have enough money to kind of do my own thing. Um, so we'll just see where uh, God leads. Sometimes uh, he changes people's minds. Um, halfway through, you think you're stuck doing something, and something will come along. God will be like, no, this is what I really want you to do. So, but right now, I believe that's what He's calling me to do, and I'm going to try and stick with it. So. Let me, uh, can, if you'd indulge me, one more question because it's it just uh, you, in your answer, you kind of um, kind of stoked a uh, question in me. One thing I noticed, I watched a movie this weekend. I won't say what the name of the movie is, but I've, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, for this movie, and I have to tell you, oh, the the language and the depictions, the sexual, the hypersexualization in the movie, uh, just just out of control. Just it, it, you know, it just nothing fit. It was gratuitous at best, and 
I will be honest with you, it, it made it difficult to watch. Uh, I, I'm trying to understand why Hollywood continues to make movie after movie after movie with an R or an MA, you know, an NC-17, you know, all these different things. Why do they keep making these movies that, frankly, do poorly, and yet family movies do well? Yeah. And I think it's funny you say that because in my first script writing class, my script writing teacher told us, if it's a sex scene, story forward, like if something doesn't happen in that scene that really moves the story forward, cut it out because it's completely pointless. And unfortunately, you don't always see that with the final product in Hollywood. You'll get that implied sex scene sometime, which is totally fine if they go to kiss and the door closes. If you're assuming that they're having sex, jump to the next scene that actually means something in the story. But so many times, they'll just have it like going on and right there in front of screen for everyone, or they'll just throw it out through like random sex scenes throughout the entire movie. Or And it just, it just completely takes your mind off the story and takes it away from the point that you're trying to make. Whereas, and like, like you said, they don't do it as well. They're not always that great. Fifty Shades of Grey is a prime example of a movie that was about sex that in reality did okay in the first couple of days because it was a hype of, okay, this is a book that's finally getting into this movie. But from a box office standpoint, it wasn't all that great. It wasn't all that impressive. But then you have, you know, kids' movies or family movies that are doing a lot better because people are wanting a little bit more morality or they're wanting a little bit more innocence, a little less, you know, so much in-your-face kind of, you know, content to watch. That's why, you know, even when you look at action movies, the ones that are, like, they can be brutal and, like, upfront in your face, and that's that's fine, but at the same time, the ones that really do well are a little bit more subtle with their action, a little bit more well-placed with when someone dies or when something happens, and they're a little bit more have more of a morality back into their story. And I think that's the biggest thing is that they're letting aesthetics of sex or horror or violence or whatever overtake the main point that, of the story that you're trying to tell. That's something that kids' movies or quote-unquote kids' movies, more like family movies, do a good job of is that they don't necessarily let the aesthetic of, you know, the, like the, the genre take over the main point that they're trying to make. Um so I think as much as, you know, like Frozen, for instance, as popular as that was, uh, it had a theme and it had like a, a, a story to it that was kept despite the fact that it's in and around a fairy tale and that kind of thing. So, or, you know, How to Train Your Dragon, you know, another movie that had a theme or a story to it that wasn't completely overtaken by, you know, the aesthetic of a fantasy movie. So um, that's something that... Uh, I've noticed with my with watching movies recently, they always throw in an aesthetic that will sometimes overtake the main point that they're trying to make. That's why I'm going to put a plug in real fast. I saw a movie recently called Sicario, which is really, really great. It might look like an action movie, but there's a whole sublining theme and story that and uh, idea that they want you to buy into and understand that you can understand but and it's not taken over by the fascinating or the exciting action sequences. So that's something that I want to do with my films is make movies that I still have an aesthetic that I'm trying to like, okay, go with or a genre that I'm trying to go with. But if my moral and my story is lost, 
then what's the point of, you know, having all the action and whatever in it? So, but yeah, sex is totally a, a issue that I think is way overdone in films nowadays and totally needs to be cut out because it's, it's, it's very, it's often completely unusable and completely pointless and doesn't even drive the plot. So I would agree. What do, what do you think is, uh, maybe in your lifetime, what do you think is the best movie that you've seen? Do you have any that just jump out at you as, man, this is good? I'm going to go, because that's a hard question to ask a film major. That's a whole other two-hour-long conversation I can get into, <laughs> and I only have a couple minutes left. But from my standpoint, from a story, visuals, and acting as a whole, the best movie, not necessarily my number one favorite movie of all time, but the best movie I've seen in the last I would go with 10 years because that puts me at 11, so it's, it's decent enough. The best movie I've seen in the past 10 years would be Christopher Nolan's Inception. Completely original. Nothing like it's been done before. Uh, the visuals are fantastic. The acting is fantastic. Good pace of you know, action and story and emotion and all that. It's a movie that causes you to think, and that's what I love about it. it makes you think. Um, that's probably uh, arguably the best movie I've seen in the past you know, five, ten years. Inception, did you say? Inception. I don't know if you've What's ever it seen about? it. No, I've never seen it. It's on It's on uh, on demand right now, but I don't know anything about it. Oh, my gosh. All right. So this is – I'm going to try and, like, crunch down the plot of Inception in, like, 30 seconds. Basically, it's about dreams, and the idea is that you can put an idea into someone's head through their dreams. So there's this crook name uh, that he specializes in putting ideas or taking ideas from people through their dream process. Hmm. So, wow. Wow. It's really interesting. Don't watch it if you're tired because it's not going to make any sense. And it's definitely one of those things you have to watch at least two or three times before you completely understand it. But it's a really good movie. Um, One of Christopher Nolan's best. Hmm. People don't know who he is. He made all the Dark Knight movies. That's what he's known for. But in reality, Inception is one of his more is one of his better films. No kidding. Uh, my son Doyle, who you know quite well, he uh, he is always telling me about these movies. That uh, well, Dad, you know, you're not going to like it because you have to watch it a bunch of times to really, really get it. And you know, and and so I always say, well. Why would I want to watch a movie that I have to watch 27 times? But it makes a lot of sense. Sometimes there's complications to it. Some of my favorites are, um, you know, and and I've got people uh, sending me messages now as to what theirs are. Uh, you know, Dances with Wolves, The Patriot, uh, Woodlawn, and War Room. Now I haven't seen Woodlawn or War Room. Everybody tells me how great they are. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about them. Uh, I can't stand, I cannot stand one of the actors in Shawshank Redemption, but to me, that's one of the greatest movies ever made, uh, the Shawshank Redemption. Morgan Freeman, I thought, was fantastic. And honestly, Tim, um, what's his name, Tim? I try to forget who he is, but uh, he's just such a raging, raging, radical liberal. Uh, but you can't you Tim can't Robbins, help. Yeah. Tim Robbins, yep, yep, yep. Um the uh, I have to say that movie I've seen it countless times and and I never get tired of it. 
one of the best made movies of all time. Um, just the storyline was incredible, how it was done. Obviously, you know, Morgan Freeman is the number one most sought after uh, voiceover. He's also the highest paid uh, voiceover person in history. Uh, and because uh, it's, you know, it's distinctive voice and, and he's just, he's very good. Um, it, but what I would say is the movie itself is just, it transcends the whole idea of where they are. You know, they're obviously in prison. And the whole idea of breaking out, was he guilty? Was he not? We don't really know. But uh, really, really good stuff. Shawshank Redemption, The Passion of the Christ, I think was uh, a transformational one. movie, really, really transformational movie. I like you. I like um, I like movies that at the end you just sort of go, wow, now that yep. is for real. That is for real. That even if it's you know somewhat outlandish, that you you finish watching it and you go, you know, I whatever I spent, you know, of course movies now are a million dollars to go see. Um, yeah, it, it's very expensive to see them. Uh, but when you leave and you say, "Well, I spent a hundred bucks all total taking my family to the movies," what, what with popcorn, a, a drink, and and you know the the movie tickets. But you know what? This was worth it. I'd come see this again. Or as soon as this comes out on DVD, uh, or I don't know if anybody ever watches DVDs anymore. I, I don't know how stuff like that works, but on demand or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, that's, for me, what really tells me that it's a, a really, really great movie is what I spend money on it again. Listen, Gerald, you're an awesome young man. Uh, I have thought that for a long time. Your parents are to be commended, uh, you know. And actually, I, I would say this, that, that families with siblings, the siblings are also to be commended, whether younger or older. Because oh, yeah. everybody, sh- everybody shapes everybody in a family. It, there's always a... There's always an impact, and sometimes you have that sibling that really is a negative and and a, a really drain on the family. But truth be told, it's um, you know what uh, you know, siblings can make or break you. But uh, you you do have a great family, and it's evidence how intelligent you are, and 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 just what a, a an awesome human being you are. I'm glad you're my son Doyle's friend, and I'm glad that we were able to spend this time together. America, you know, I know you can't clap and him hear you, but uh, give give a, a, a you know a big high five to my buddy Gerald uh, Foster. He really really unbelievable kid and and um, I, I hope that you'll come back and join us again because we really we need more conversations like this. What you say makes a lot of sense. Uh, you are not what I would call the typical college student. Uh, you are far from that. But then again, you were born to be excellent. You were born to be extraordinary. You are born to be awesome, and you are living that out. So thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me and just kind of like throwing it out there like, you know what, do you want to do this? And, you know, sometimes I take too long to make decisions, and it was one of those times where I didn't. I'm just glad, you know, to be here and just, you know, say uh, some of the things you said and just to talk stuff out because I think that's key to how, stuff can go like to make a difference is you just got to talk it out sometimes so i really appreciate you giving me that opportunity and um yeah definitely i would love to be on here again at some point uh i don't know when because this semester is crazy and they got the post midterm kind of fight so you know after a while i'm going to be kind of out of commission a little bit but definitely at some point soon i would definitely love to be on your show again so i really appreciate you giving me this opportunity it's a pleasure. Take good care. Give your uh, give your parents and your siblings a hug for me. Take care, Gerald. All the best. All right. 
So, America, there you have it. You have a great young man. Uh, he's in it to win it. He is uh, just an awesome human being. Folks, go to uh, theninjapastor.com and listen to our Sunday message on fear. We have two messages on there for you. Um, or you can at blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor. You can listen to free messages there, uh, Sunday message. Those are more uh, sermons, uh, but unique. You, you'll not have ever heard a church service like that before. But this most recent one that I'm doing on fear, it'll rock your socks and it'll help you. I believe it will. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you all for your patience and hanging on while we worked out our uh, technical difficulties. And I look forward to seeing you next Sunday uh, for an hour. 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard, Eastern Standard Time to 6.30 p.m., and we'll be back with you. Thank you for joining us today. Tell your friends. Pass it along. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and at www.drseangreener.com in the meantime dr sean will be fighting for you and for this great country Thank you for joining in this fight.